work is is more than work is so much more than just the money that you that comes in it's it's really important to to get your skills out there hello and welcome to the low season a podcast about tour guiding tourism and the future of travel I'm Wouter Bernhardt, and at the moment I'm gauging how tour guides all over the world are navigating the pandemic. For today's episode, I spoke to Amir Karim, a tour guide from Vienna. Guiding in Austria is still a little bit old-fashioned here. In the episode, we talk about licensing the guiding industry and the impact of not working on our mental health. What it does to your mind and, and to your whole mental state, because... I will be out of work for several months, that's for sure. Here is Amir Karim. Yes, I'm born and raised Viennese, even though both of my parents are not from Austria, actually. But this lovely town is what I call home. And I've always done that. And I still live here. I've been traveling a lot. I've uh, done an exchange semester abroad, but it always brought me back here. And Vienna is where I currently live as well. And I am now 31 years old, doing this whole tour guiding for the past nine years. I started in 2012. And it's been quite a ride. It started as something that I only did as a summer job when I simply needed money. And I found this ad online and it just, it just sounded super exciting, like five weeks traveling, and getting paid for it actually in July and August, it's just, I was hooked immediately. Um, but then step by step, I realized that that this is something I can, I can see myself doing. And after two or three years, I actually decided to do it full time. So really doing it as my main source of income and not as a side gig anymore. That's been my life for the past few years now. Uh, the majority, by far the majority of the people that I speak to that are guides are not originally from the place that they guide within. Uh, is this something that you find yourself also in Vienna? I mean, are, are, aren't most guides coming from the, the States or Britain or other places, fall in love with the city and then start to guide as a profession? That's, that's an interesting question. Um, I've never thought about that particular point, but there's probably some truth to it. Uh, maybe a little less here where I live. Um, I'm not sure how much experience you have with Vienna and Austria, but I mean, this whole guiding profession, if you, if you look at it on a, on a bigger European or international scale, it's, I, I think it's vastly different from place to place because it's, uh, there is so much to it. So first of all, I guess, Guiding is a profession that many people don't really s imagine when they are young. It's like not one of these things that you that you dream of doing later on. So a lot of people just happen to do it, happen to get into it at some point, I, I've realized. Um, and then I think in the countries where it's not as strictly regulated, for example, in Germany, especially in Berlin, of course, as the biggest city in Germany, I, I think it's a lot of people that moved there and then just just fell in love with it and, and wanted to share their passion with maybe fellow citizens from where they're originally from. Uh, and then they stuck with it more or less, I think. But in other places where like in Austria, uh, in Italy or in France, where it's really strictly regulated, you actually need to do this this federal license to have the permit to guide 
Um, I think the I I don't know the official numbers, but I would guess that the percentage of foreigners doing this job is lower, and then usually it's it's a lot of people that um, that later in their life actually wanted a change in their in their life. They weren't happy with the original job, and so what you would find here is that a lot of the local guides have um, are sort of in their late forties or so have a bit of experience and are very happy to be a guide now because they left a job where they were just not happy anymore, you know? That's so interesting. That's so different than from in Berlin where I feel most of the guides are, let's say, between 25 and maybe 40, you know? I think, to be honest, we are lacking that a little bit over here. And and maybe that is where I come in and I, I try to... I want to change this. Um, I, I feel like guiding in Austria is still a little bit old-fashioned here and not only because of the average age of the guides but also because the whole mentality here is a little bit more conservative I would say and I would I would like to I always say my slogan is I want to take the guiding into the 21st century here in Vienna what what does that mean um so just to get this license, for example, it's it's a training course that takes um, a minimum of two semesters, but most people actually invest two years until you actually are ready for this quite insanely intense test. And that is already just showing how much they, how I would say they want to secure the quality. They want to make sure that no, nobody just comes along and does it, you know? So quite the opposite maybe to what you have in Berlin and where everybody can do it. Here they are really strict. It's like a, it's like an internalized community where it's tough to get in. Are you now talking, by the way, of Vienna or of Austria as a whole? So the license that you can get is valid for the whole country, technically. But normally people limit themselves to the city where they live. Mm. Yeah. And since Vienna is 2 million people, I mean, there is plenty of work here. I don't need to go much further, you know. And is this, this license there, you think, because Vienna or Austria wants to protect what comes out or what people know or, or get to know about the city or the country? Yeah, it's. I think reasons are very versatile here. There are a couple of this. I think part of it is what you just said. They want to maintain a certain image to the outer world. I think another part is also just the cultural heritage. Vienna and Austria just being a bit more conservative, not as liberal, not as open, you know. And another thing might also be that I've realized it's actually not just here. It's the same atmosphere and the same protective attitude in other large cities that have a huge focus on tourism and guiding as well. For example, in Venice, in Rome, in Paris. Uh, it's it's a similar attitude over there, I realized. I can imagine, though, um, that protecting your heritage and what people get to know about your country is one element of the of the license. The other one is, of course, that by investing so much into getting the license, it feels way more like a profession, a thing that you are going to do for a significant amount of your life, maybe. Might be, yeah. Uh, it might be very well. Now, of course, it would be nice to have statistics of like 
how many people that do the guiding license here actually stick with this for the rest of their life compared to other cities, compared to Berlin, for example, how many drop out of this after a while again, you know? Let me immediately say that one of the things that I've discussed already on the show is the fact that many, if well, if you look around on the streets of Berlin, you'll find very few people over the age of 50 and definitely not over the age of 60. I mean, there is the, the one here and there, but there's very few, few of them out there in comparison to the general size of the guiding community. If you're saying in Vienna, a lot of the guides are over 40, I find that very interesting. You know, these people then clearly see a potential in, in for, for them to, to make this into a career that they can do all the way to their yeah retirement. And now imagine the impacts of, of what's happening right now on people like this that don't do it as a side thing, but really as the main source of income, you know, it's, it's devastating. Yeah. Can you maybe touch? Tell me a little bit about your own personal circumstances, like how has the virus sort of uh, knocked you out of business or, or yeah, and, and, and what are the, the, the consequences for, for you personally uh, not being able to guide? I have been doing a combination of bus tours and ship tours, ship meaning river cruising, uh, which I think was a, was a branch of the business that was expanding quite vastly and quickly the last few years and a lot of guides um, happen to to get good money there as much as the tour guides and the local guides actually so yeah what happened to me precisely was that by march um ef uh, would have been my first tour of the season all of a sudden was in jeopardy a lot of my colleagues day by day in our WhatsApp chat said, oh yeah, my tour got canceled right now. Oh yeah, mine too, mine too. And I actually had still little hopes, very little hopes that that maybe mine would be happening. But three days before I was supposed to fly to Frankfurt to pick up my group, I got the info then, yep, it's canceled too. Mm. Are you at the moment like in any financial stress or are you kind of like, oh, I've got some savings, I'm, I'm good for the moment? So to be honest, uh, the financial aspect of it is, is actually not the big trouble for me. I was able to save a little bit of money over the last few years. Plus, as you probably know, uh, the tipping uh, has always been a big part of our income as well. And that is sort of money that I, I was able to to save up. And I have stayed here at home secretly. <laughs> and and that is sort of my buffer right now. Um, so the financial part was not really the worrying part to me. And in the beginning, when it all started, I thought to myself, like, ah, shit, bummer. Uh, I would like to go touring. I would like to earn money. But it's not the end of the world that it's not happening. It was more the, to me the mental side of things. And I realized... And I paid a lot of attention to what it does to your mind and, and to your whole mental state um, when you don't have work, when you don't have any chance to prove your skills, when you don't know when you can actually resume, because I will be out of work for several months, that's for sure. Talk, talk a little bit about what you, what you mean with that, um, what kind of impact it has on you mentally when you 
don't have work or anything to do? Well, that is, I've, I've always been a fan of, 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 let's say, psychological matters and, and, and how to influence people and things. And, and, and so it was just naturally to me that I would pay more attention to that when the whole crisis hit. And to me personally, it was very clear from the start of this that it's quite a devastating effect it has physically on our health. People will die from this. But sooner or later, our medical responsible people will find a way how to deal with it. Our government will find a way how to execute this, these solutions. But what remains is really what, what it did to us as people in our heads and minds, I would say. And so I think there is really two different people, two different mindsets of people, how to deal with the long-term effects of this crisis. There's the type of people who just sit it out. They just wait for the quarantine to be over and then they more or less go back to work. They go back to their regular lives and, and it's almost as nothing really happens mentality. They just sit it out and, and try to find a way to occupy themselves, you know? And then there's the other people who sort of let it get to them and actually let it influence them in a, in a bit more profound way, in a more everlasting way almost. And, and I think that that is also the healthier way. Even though in the beginning it's a bit overwhelming maybe and you don't know like, shit, what, what should I do with this nothingness, with this emptiness right now? For many people, this emptiness immediately is something negative. They don't know how to deal with it. And they just want to fill the time as much as possible. But if you just sit back and, and try to try to see what it actually does to you, I think that can be a very positive change over the long run. Have you been able to, how do you say, like, have you been able to sort of sit back a little bit i mean do you find it easy to to not do any work i mean i obviously i understand you are not guiding um but there's many things that we can be doing many people are immediately on doing online marketing and virtual touring there is of course the idea of looking for other jobs entirely well what have you been doing um in this period yeah, so have I been able to sit back a little bit and reflect? Um, I, I, I try to, yes, because my, my first reaction and my immediate urge is also to, okay, let's do something productive now. Let's, let's not waste the time. So I've always been a passionate reader. I, I read a lot of books that's, that's like easy for me. Um, I've also been working on my own website, which is a project that I, I sort of postponed procrastinated for a long time already and these have been probably my two main efforts now besides the fact that i started playing playstation again which was purely for the entertainment um but but the whole point i was trying to make now i i really tried to implement in my life a little bit trying to see what can I as a human being and maybe mankind take away from this and sort of do preventive for the future. And, and I see it, for example, with my flatmate, who is the exact opposite. And any, any hour that he is just at home, 
not doing anything productive, not filling his time, makes him very anxious. And, and he just cannot deal with that. And he is out all the time. And he was also during quarantine out as much as possible. And I think uh, here we had two very different sort of mentalities coming together, actually. Yeah. And of course, these uh, these mentalities, they can also change, right? I mean, I find myself in very uh, conflicting states of being over the course of several days. Um, some of them very nice and introspective and reading and just taking life as it comes and then others are completely stressed out and what am I doing and sort of in some ways also very much in touch with the crisis that's happening around us. Uh, I, I, I don't necessarily feel myself to be in one state all of the time, if you catch my drift. I do. And I totally agree with you. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure how long the lockdown was in Germany right now, but for us here in Austria, we will probably look back at it as the six weeks lockdown. It's sort of this, it's probably going to be a catchphrase. I can already see it happening, but these six weeks, you're right. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster ride, right? And it's just natural and human, I guess, that this is not just monotonous. It goes up and down a little bit. And, and I hit my low after a few weeks. I think the beginning of this lockdown was okay. It was actually fairly easy for me. It was, it was just, I, I tried to see there's a break. Let's take a break right now. Why not? It's cool. It's good. But after three or four weeks, it, it almost hit me a little later. It came with, it came postponed and almost dragged me down. And all of a sudden I felt low. I, I felt like useless a little bit, you know? And that was the moment where I realized work is, is more than work is so much more than just the money that you, that comes in. It's, it's, like I said earlier, I think really important to to get your skills out there to make sure that your skills are used and and to feel to feel like your skills are worth to other people as well. And that is completely missing, of course. Yeah. Did you feel your skills being worth something while you were a tour guide? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think tour guiding was always difficult. It, it rarely ever is easy. Uh, even, even when it gets easier after a few years, it's still not easy. It still remains a challenging job, I would say. Um, but, but every day I felt like, yeah, people are, people are looking forward to see me work. It's, it's almost like, um, they are happy to see me work, which made me feel good in reverse. So it was like this back and forth and this pumping up each other, which um, which makes all the challenge, which makes all the difficult parts completely, completely minimal, just disappear almost. Son. Now, now that we can travel at the moment and we're all in lockdown in our own places, only go for walks in our immediate sort of environment, tourism isn't really happening at the moment. It gives us a chance to think a little bit about what tourism is, what travel is, what it means to go from place to place, meet other people. What do you, what do you think we are missing out on at the moment? What, what do you think is the importance that we're starting to see of, of tourism as a whole, of people traveling to other places? Interacting. 
I think that's the big one. It's interaction. And as, as challenging as it is, and most of the time it probably goes wrong, intercultural interactions, because I think there's more stuff that can go wrong by nature than it can actually go well, especially within groups, you know. Uh, I think it's it's these challenging times are are what what define us and and help us grow and every interaction that we have makes us bigger and makes us grow a little more. But on a more pragmatical level, I I think that our branch of tourism group traveling really does not have a bright future anymore because the thing is not only the difficulties of actually finding solutions of how can we fit the same amount of people in an airplane how can we still have a bus of 40 people instead of 20 people besides these things i i see an additional problem which is assuming that we get back to normality I'm not sure if the public perception wants that. I'm not sure if the rest of the population actually wants group traveling to happen in the same intensity and amounts as before. Because like you said, it's um, maybe a lot of people are enjoying it now, the way it is a bit more. And then all of a sudden they get hit with this idea Oh yeah, there's going to be cruise ships, the large ocean liners coming to Venice again and flooding the city with thousands of people. People will ignore the fact that there is other ones that actually depend on this financially. They will ignore this fact a little bit, I think, and just remember, oh, it was so much nicer when the streets were emptier. So I think the public perception is a little bit against us in this case, unfortunately. Uh, and that is going to make it even harder to go back to a level that we had so far. Um, maybe, uh, Amir, I'd like to sort of leave it here for now. Um, I really want to thank you so much for taking the time and opportunity to, to talk to me. Um, I, I'd love to be able to talk to you in the future again. Um, I don't know exactly when yet, but maybe with a bit of time passing, we can also see how things play out if international travel comes back. And maybe you also have some updates on yeah, your your quest to to change the guiding culture in Austria and Vienna. Thank you. You too, Walter. It was a pleasure to get to know you and we'll stay in touch, okay? Great pleasure to, to talk. Uh, speak soon, Amir. Bye. That was Amir Karim from Vienna with a lot of insights relating to tour guiding and mental health. I found it interesting to hear that the guiding community in Vienna overall is a bit older and consists of more locals than here in Berlin. And as I mentioned in the conversation, I do wonder if that means that the profession as such is taken more seriously in Austria than it is in Berlin. Whether having to study for your license for about two semesters will make you stick with it and will make it a less fleeting occupation. I'd love to hear what you think. You can send me a message at thelowseasonpodcast at gmail.com or come and talk with fellow tour guides from around the world in our discussion group on Facebook called Real Talk. You can find more information on these topics in the show notes. 
Amir Karim is working hard on releasing a new website. So for the moment, you can find his view on Vienna on his Instagram account, to which I've linked in the show notes as well. That was it for today. On Wednesday, we're back with Jeannie Carmichael from London. Well, we chose this particular union because it's uh, the main one that specializes in self-employed people. Just just maybe individual sort of people who don't fit in into any uh, sort of more broad main category then. The Low Season is produced by me, Wouter Bennert. And I've been saying this a lot over the years as he has created a lot of music for several of my podcasting projects. Music is by Mark Schilders. Mark is an acclaimed musician from the Netherlands and has just released the very first track of a brand new album. It's amazing, it's really good for the soul, and I've put a link in the show notes that you can all go and buy his music. Artwork is by Christopher White, Georgia Riongo, U vraagt, wij draaien. Speak soon, my friends. Every day I felt like, yeah, people are people are looking forward to see me work, which makes all the challenge, which makes all the difficult parts completely minimal, just disappear almost on.